Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I realized at that point in time that's actually a terrible communicator because I was doing what um, great Stephen Covey said is I was listening to respond, not listening to understand. Now, the vast majority of people listen to respond. What it means is that when someone's giving you their answer, what you're doing is you're just formulating how you're going to reply to that to put forward your point. Now, actually, if you're listening to understand, you've really got to develop your skills of well, listening, but also empathy. You've really got to put yourself in the position of the other person. And once you can do that, then you can really become a great communicator. Welcome to the Power Hour, the weekly podcast that will motivate you to pursue your passion and to achieve success. I'm Adrienne Herbert, international speaker, fitness coach, Adidas global ambassador and entrepreneur. Each week, I'll be talking to today's leading coaches, creatives, change makers and innovators to find out their daily habits, morning routines and rules to live by. The Power Hour is all about taking just one hour each day to help you improve your life and unlock your full potential. Whether you want to build a business, write a book, run a marathon or maybe you're just looking for a spark of inspiration, the Power Hour is going to help you get there faster. Welcome back to the Power Hour podcast. Today's guest is an extraordinary guy who is passionate about people, impact, business and running. He started his career in business consultancy, delivering multi-million pound IT projects before discovering his true passion for working with people and creating high performance teams. Today, he is the director of people at FIT. He is fascinated about the future of work and how companies and brands today need to evolve and adapt to support their employees. He delivers talks on this topic across Europe and each year he is invited to guest lecture at the University of Bath MBA programme. When he's not helping brands to build their best teams, he is passionate about his charity, Universal Chance, that he co-founded with friends in 2012. Universal Chance has raised close to £100,000 to help rebuild Bohinga Primary School in Uganda. As you'd expect from someone working in the leadership team at FIT, he has a slight fitness obsession. To date, he has completed 13 marathons and five ultramarathons, including Marathon de Saab and a 100-mile race non-stop. He's also managed four triathlons and an Ironman. Not bad for someone who claims he cannot swim. Welcome to the studio, Ben Wolf. Hello, hello. It's great to be here. Welcome. I mean... I could have gone on and on and on. I'm so, so happy to have you here in the studio and I've been really looking forward to interviewing you. I know that the listeners are going to get so much from what you have to say. So I've got loads of questions. So should we just get into it? Far away. Okay. So firstly, I mentioned at the start that you are a people person and I've worked with you um, and the team at Fit for almost two years. And in that time, the team has grown so much. Previously, you worked in HR for huge corporations such as BP and EDF, and now you are the director of people. So I'd love to know, what is a director of people and what led you to discover this career path? Good question. Um, Okay, so 
Uh, it's directed to people at fit. I do all the usual stuff you'd expect HR to do. Things like paying people, recruiting people, training people. But if that's all I did, then I'd be a director of HR and not a director of, of people. So really what gets me out of bed in the morning, what I'm really passionate about is just creating this amazing place to work where people from the outside look at us and are desperate to work at fit. And people on the inside are really excited about coming to work every day. They get up every morning. They look forward to coming to the office. They work with epic people and solve really big problems. And they can grow and evolve and achieve everything they want to achieve at, at fit. Um, so I think if you create that work environment, then it puts you on a really strong footing to create a really incredible company. I kind of got into this kind of career path almost by mistake a little bit. Um, as you said in your intro, my background was in business consulting and I was running huge projects, um, multi-million pound, either kind of business transformations or IT projects. And I joined um, EDF Energy, the electricity company. And uh, I was working for internal business consultancy. And on day one, they said, you're going to go and work on an HR project. It's a restructure and it's just struggling a little bit. And my response was, um, no, I'm not. I'm not interested in this fluffy HR stuff. And they said, look, it's just struggling a bit. It needs some structure, some rigor put around it. Do it for two months and we'll put it on something else. Um, and being the team player I am, I said, sure, I'll go and I'll help out for a couple of months. And six and a half years later, and I was running all of the HR projects um, across corporate HR at EDF. I'd worked in some HR roles um, internally as well and never really looked back. So what is it about, what do you think it was that kind of, that you enjoyed most? You know, you said you kind of thought it was fluffy and you were like, oh, I'm not interested in that. What was the reality like when you actually started doing it? So what really gripped me about it was that... I'm really interested about the dynamics of how business works and what makes businesses successful and what makes some businesses not successful. If you look at most businesses, most businesses don't really have any kind of huge competitive advantage over anyone else. They have the same access to the same technology, the same labor market. They can recruit the same people. Um, they can even kind of deliver similar products if they really tried to. What really differentiates people is the culture and the people within them and how can you do your best to attract really incredible people and how can you make some teams so much more productive and so much more engaged than other companies can. And really that's the secret sauce for a company, I think. So if the differentiator is people, I think the most important part of a company is to work in, in that area. And I really realise that that's really what kind of gets me going. That's really what excites me. How do you engage and motivate people? Awesome. Well, you're doing a good job, Ben. Um, and working with a lot of people requires you to have to be great at communication. And you are an excellent communicator. You work across, you know, all different people, whether they're at the start, the end or everyone in the company. So is that something that you have had to work on or is it just a skill that's always come naturally to you? It most definitely is not a skill that's always come naturally to me. Um, I've always been quite a good talker. Um, as you know, Joanne, I talk far too much. Um, sometimes it's a challenge to, to shut me up. I've always been pretty confident going up and approaching people, pretty confident standing up and giving presentations. But what I kind of realised um, through some leadership training I went through about probably six or seven years ago now is that the most important skill in being a good communicator is listening. And I realised at that point in time that I was actually a terrible communicator because I was doing what um, great Stephen Covey said is I was listening to respond, not listening to understand. Now, the vast majority of people listen to respond. What it means is that when someone's giving you their answer, what you're doing is you're just formulating how you're going to reply to that to put forward your point. Now, actually, if you're listening to understand, you've really got to 
develop your skills of well listening but also empathy you've really got to put yourself in the position of the other person and once you can do that then you can really become a great communicator now the other half of it once you kind of nail that is you really need to become a great storyteller to become a great communicator so the other half of you understanding the other person is to make sure that the other person or people can really understand you now the human brain is wired to look for meaning and look for understanding and connect the dots and if you just tell people your message if you just give them the punchline without showing your workings um, then how are you going to bring people along on the journey so people want to see that thread through they want to understand the story they want to be engaged so you've got to be a fantastic listener first and secondly a great storyteller Amazing. Great advice. I love that. So it's good to know that people can become better communicators if they if they feel that's not necessarily their strength. But yeah, those are good things they can work on, listen more and become and better at storytelling. Awesome. Okay, I'd like to talk to you about mentoring. Mentorship can be incredibly valuable. And I know that you've set up mentoring programs before. So can you tell us a bit about mentoring, what it is, what it isn't, and what should people expect to get out of having a mentor? How do I explain this without kind of trying to put a load of management waffle into it and everything like that? Now, if you imagine if you could speak to, depending on your age, maybe yourself 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, what would you tell that 20-year younger version of yourself? You imagine if that version of you 10, 20 years ago could ask you, um, advice around what direction maybe they should take their career in what were their biggest challenges how would they overcome those challenges what um yeah i've got all these exciting ideas but i don't quite know how to get traction on them i'm really struggling this point in my development i don't quite know how to move past it imagine if you could have that ongoing dialogue with yourself kind of 10 20 years into the future how powerful that would be and that is essentially what mentoring is Basically, you're taking all your, as a mentor, you're taking all your skills and experience, those battle scars that you've earned over the years that you can only learn through failure and coming back from those failures. And you're using that to help to shape and guide someone else's uh, yeah, direction, help them to explore. I think one of the, the best quotes I've heard from it um, around mentoring was, and, and this is what I rolled out when I rolled out the, mentioned when I rolled out the mentoring training at FIT, was a um, great quote from someone called Suze Orman. She's a, a writer. And said that the goal of mentoring is to make the mentee more of who they already are and to discover more of who they already are, not make them more like, like you. And that's kind of a great differentiator between what you might get in a kind of a line manager type responsibility or, or coaching. You're really helping to guide and help people to kind of explore. Yeah, no, I, I gave, you gave some really good examples as well that day about, um, I think it was the, uh, Facebook, who's the guy? Mark Zuckerberg, Thank yeah. Thank you, Mark Zuckerberg and Steve Jobs. I didn't realise that he'd mentored him. And then you gave some athletes as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so a famous one is uh, Bradley Wiggins and, and Laura Trott. I know Laura Trott wasn't always the most confident coming through and Bradley Wiggins really helped to give her um, the confidence and belief in her own ability. And obviously she's gone on to agree, achieve great, great things. Mm. The way I'm seeing mentoring become really popular though is I, f I see it online, I see it in magazines. I feel like everyone at the moment is saying to people, especially in the entrepreneur space, get a mentor, you have to have a mentor, you should have a mentor. And I see people tweeting other people being like, will you be my mentor? And it seems like almost they just actually want to just become mentors with the person and just hang out but that's not what mentoring is right no it's not at all it's actually one of the biggest challenges with mentoring is 
um, if you do it badly. And actually, I think quite a lot of the mentorship programs I've seen set up, or I've set up myself, I mean, I've, I've learned how to set up better mentoring programs by kind of making mistakes of, of doing it bad in the past. Um, one of the mistakes I made originally was just pairing two people up. Someone wants to be a mentor, someone wants to be a mentee, making a good match and just pairing people up. Now, just because someone is a great manager or a great leader doesn't necessarily mean they'll be a great mentor without being given the training and coaching and telling them how to do it. So I think you've got to set it up right, but really understanding kind of what mentoring isn't as much as what it is. So it's not a talking shop. It's not just for someone to unload all of their problems. And it's not just a nice chat. So sure, it is about exploration and everything like that. But one of the key things you need out of every single conversation you have is you need some tangible actions. You need one, two, three tangible things for that person to go away and work on and bring back to you. It might be a book to read. It might be a person to go speak to. You might say, oh, you want to work on your active listening. I want you to write kind of a, a little journal every day or, or just once a week to say the times you did it well and the times you did it badly and what were the scenarios and what were the pitfalls and, and things like that. And by that person coming back to you, and reporting back on how those things went. One, they're developing and you're, you're building on that, but you're also building this kind of relationship of trust of I am giving up my time for you. You are taking that and you're working on the things that I said, so you're valuing the advice I, I give you. So it is something that needs a little bit of structure. Um, it is something that needs some action. It's not just kind of um, a, a nice chat, as, as you said. Yeah, or just like, oh, you look cool. Let me just hang out with you for a while and call it mentoring. Okay, cool. And one of the, talking about like actionable things you can do, you recently shared with us um, and the team about goal setting, this really great goal setting exercise that you that you showed us and how to like create a roadmap for your own career, whether that's, I guess some people would call it, you know, like their 10-year plan, five-year plan, one-year plan. So could you talk us through that process and could you give the listeners, I guess, the the points for them if they so they could get started on figuring out if they're currently on the right path yeah no for sure this is one of my favorite exercises that i talk through so whenever i mentor someone i've got a few little tools or little exercises in my toolkit because someone might not always know at the beginning of that relationship exactly what they want out of the relationship so sometimes a mentee will come in and they just talk and they'll be very clear out what they were out of the relationship but other times um, you might need to tease it out a little bit. So this is one of my favorite exercises. Um, essentially kind of what you do is you say to the person, um, okay, I want you to roll the clock forward 10 years. It doesn't have to be 10 years, but it has to be far enough in the future that it can disconnect from where you are today. So five years isn't far enough. Say 10 years, and I want you to sketch out every possible version of what your future might look like in 10 years time. Now, these things should be exciting they should be aspirational they should also be kind of vaguely realistic but if any of these options don't get you excited when you're writing them and you can't envisage it and it doesn't kind of yeah get get that little butterflies in your stomach through visioning yourself in, in that position then you should work hard to make sure that outcome doesn't happen because you're not working towards where you want to be once you sketch those out um, then you kind of write a list of all of the things that you would need, all of the skills, all the things you need to be able to do for every single one of those options um, to be able to achieve that and work in that role. So if I give an example, if I was doing this exercise, I might go, okay, one version of my future is chief people officer at FIT. FIT has grown to be, yeah, kind of multi-thousand people organization, global. We've got studios all over the world. And I'm managing this kind of massive people operation in a really exciting company like FIT. Another one might be that I'm running my charity full-time. Another 
future might be that I founded my own company. Another one might be that I'm, I'm a writer. I I've, I've do books. I go in and advise people on how to build great cultures and things like that. Now, if I was writing my list, if I just picked a couple of those, I might go, okay, so at FIT, what would I need to do um, managing this kind of big people operation? Okay, I need to be great at leadership. I need to be great at communication. I need to be able to attach outcomes to the business strategy. So I need to understand business strategy. I need to know operational HR. I need to be able to connect people to the company's vision and mission. What the list might look like for if I was founding a company is, okay, I need to also be good at vision and mission. I need to understand how to raise money. I need to understand how to put business plans together. I'd also need to be good at kind of leadership and communication and, and everything like that. So once you've got this list for those options, what you do is you take out a pen, different color for the best, and you kind of circle all the things that were common across the different lists. Um, then what you do is you roll the clock back and go, okay, so five years. In five years' time, to achieve each one of those outcomes, where would I need to be and what would I need to be doing? So again, you write a list for each one of those examples. And again, you get your different color pen out and you circle the things that are common and you roll the clock back to three years and you do the same exercise again. Now you look at your list and you look at all the things you've got in common and you'll see that surprisingly, although those different outcomes are very divergent, they might be completely different directions. The skills and things you need to do, there's more in common than, than not. And you can very quickly from that put together a really crystallized development plan of things that I'm going to work on in the next year that won't discount any of those options, but actually take me towards every single one of those options. So it's a real tangible way of not only getting excited about the different versions your future could take, but also giving you something really tangible that you can work on to work towards each one of those futures. Yeah, I think that's absolutely brilliant. And whilst you're talking through, I'm like, I need to do that. I'm like, oh, yeah, five years, I need to be able to do this. Three years, maybe this. And I think for a lot of people listening, it's just really useful to have those kind of frameworks because often people say, like, you know, find your why, figure out your purpose and just do what makes you happy. And it's like, that isn't always great advice because people are like, well, where do I start? Or I don't really know maybe what my purpose is. I think it's easy for people who've got one clear vision. But as you said, then you could have four or five or six. And actually, you don't have to decide now. This is the one thing and it's the only path because I think that's kind of overwhelming as well. So, yeah, I think it's a brilliant exercise and I need to do it. I'm going to do it this week. Yeah. So I hope that you can... Um, Listeners, I hope that you'll also, yeah, grab a pen and paper and start working on that list. Okay, Ben, many of the guests that I've interviewed on this show have talked about running. Maybe I'm drawn to them because of my love for running too. Uh, and I started off, you know, I've already listed some of your races and achievements, but honestly, you are incredibly modest. You always say that, oh, I'm not really that good of a runner, even though you've completed some of the world's toughest road races, foot races, um, and you've taken part in some pretty epic challenges. So how did you first get into running? Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting question because... Um, sort of by mistake. That's the second time I've said that um, in this uh, in this chat. But I signed up in 2007 for the London Marathon. Now, it was a bucket list thing to complete the London Marathon. Um, I always wanted to complete a marathon. I always told myself it'd be one marathon. I didn't like running back then. Um, I always played team sports when I was younger. Um, I was only out of university a, a year or two. And I was not in the best shape of my life. And I signed up for this marathon and I trained for it didn't know what I was doing, trained really badly. I mean, I, I put in the effort, but I just didn't have any structure to it or anything like that. And I didn't really enjoy it, if I'm perfectly honest. A couple of years later, um, I signed up for a triathlon. I did the Barcelona triathlon. I did the same race the next year and really then started to get in love with the whole kind of process of training and progression towards a goal. And particularly, I was getting really interested in kind of the running side of it. 
And then after that, I was looking for a challenge to do with my, my sister. And we signed up for the Arctic Circle Marathon in Greenland. And that's where I got really, really hooked. Um, that whole process of all the training up to it, the event itself is incredible. And from that point on, I've been kind of hooked on well, really kind of endurance sport, but running particularly. And what, yeah, I was going to say, what do you think it is about endurance? Because I think, you know, when we've spoken before about doing, you know, ultras and all this kind of thing, I enjoy running. You know, I do enjoy running. And I know lots of people enjoy running. 10K or maybe 10 miles, half a marathon, maybe even a full marathon. But what was it that made you want to go further and go beyond that? So I think for me, I'd, I'd done kind of a, a few marathons by, by this point. And I always wanted to do something incredible, something where I could push myself to do more than I ever thought was possible. And I kind of figured out by this point that I was an okay runner, a good runner even, but I was never going to be a great runner. I was never going to win races. I was never even going to get in the the top kind of five, 10% or anything like that. But I was probably going to get in the kind of next 15, 20% or whatever. So I kind of looked at it and going, okay, so what can I do where I can achieve things that most people, um, the majority of people can can achieve? I kind of realized that I had this kind of um, skill for kind of mental strength and toughness. And if I put the right effort and focus and dedication and attention in, that I could run and train myself to run insane distances. So I really kind of strongly believe that um, we've been given this kind of incredible machine in our bodies. Our our kind of our brains can do incredible things. Our bodies can do incredible things. I don't know, um, well, I I guess an author now, but someone who you really like as well, David Goggins. Obsessed. (laughs) Talks about the 40% rule that most people only um, push themselves to 40% of what they can achieve. Now, I really think that... I've got almost a, a duty or be a massive waste in my life if I didn't really explore how far I could push my mind and, and my body. And uh, yeah, kind of the endurance sport and the ultra running was kind of my way of, of doing that. Yeah, I definitely think it is a challenge for the mind more than the body. And I don't really know how to personally anyway break through that barrier because I think that it is something that, yeah, I know it's possible, you know, what the human body can achieve and all the rest of it. But I think my mind limits me so much. And I've almost told myself now, like, I know what my limitations are. I know my body. I know what I can and can't do. But it seems like for you, it was the opposite. You're like, you know, it's kind of thinking... I know I can do more. I know I can do more. Whereas mine is like, no, no, no. I know my limits. Marathon is, is enough. Do you know what I mean? When, yeah, how, yeah. Do you, how do you shift that mindset to thinking, I can achieve this incredible thing? Well, it's almost about flipping on its head. So when you go and you do kind of, particularly kind of the ultra races, and they just go over such a long time. I mean, the 100 mile I was going for 25 hours, didn't sit down. Um, obviously don't have a proper meal or anything at one point I was so tired I was falling asleep while I was running um, which is a really weird kind of experience and you go into these kind of dark places at points in that race so kind of 80-90% of the race I really enjoy the 10-20% where you go into kind of a dark place you discover a lot about yourself now I guess that's kind of where you'd say your limitation is that actually yeah that's very nice but you don't want to go into that dark place now if you flip on its head and actually actually look forward to that those points of time in a weird kind of perverse way kind of really enjoy being in that hurt locker and discovering things about yourself and pushing yourself through that barrier then you're almost kind of all race you're almost looking forward to those little bits when you come out the other side it's incredible for you because there's nothing in your day-to-day life or nothing in your work that can phase you 
if you come out the other side of that, the small things that happen day to day that would normally stress you out or did years, stress me out years ago, um, you know, you can overcome kind of incredible things that you never thought you could do before. So you take so much more from it um, into your day to day life than just in that moment of, of running in that ultra race. Mm, okay I'm thinking about it I'm thinking about it but also I just think do people ever stop like I feel like I'd get into that bit that you're talking about and I'd just be like you know what why am I doing this because I think that's a conversation a lot of people have like if I go out on a long run for example and it gets to a really tough bit and I'm really tired and I might get cramp and I might look around there's no one there it's not a race there's cars going past and I'm like why are you actually doing this like you could just get the bus home you could just sit on the sofa and watch tv and have a nice drink like why are you actually out in the cold in pain pushing you what what are you doing and then i feel like that's what i do in the race and i'd be like oh i'm I'm out (laughs) i quit this is rubbish i'm gonna persuade you one day i'm gonna get you to 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 run ultra one day well i was gonna say you know you've 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 on you've tried to encourage me to sign up for an ultra Uh, i haven't given in yet but for anyone listening who might now be getting tempted um and they're already i don't know running but they've never done an ultra event What's the one thing that you'd say to us to say, that why would that challenge be different to any other and why should we do it? Okay, the thing I really, really enjoy about ultra running over, say, kind of the marathons is you run a marathon and or a 10K or a 5K or whatever your thing is. And because they're all pretty comparable, you put quite a lot of pressure on yourself to, okay, I need to get this time I need to improve my personal best or you have kind of a very fixed kind of time in in mind and you push yourself pretty hard to get that time. So quite a lot of it is is not enjoyable, partly because of the pressure, but partly because you're pushing yourself as hard as you can to keep going. With an ultramarathon, it's completely different. Every single one is a different distance, different terrain, different conditions. And then you're normally in kind of beautiful parts of the world as well. So you take all the pressure off the table of I need to achieve this by this time. You just enjoy being very present in the moment. Um, you enjoy kind of taking in the countryside and everything, going at your own pace um, and just being an adventure, really. You kind of start at the beginning of the day, you know you're out for the day. So your mindset completely shifts. I mean, a, a really good example is that when I run on a road, a marathon or any type of road running, I have to have my music in. Otherwise, I, I, I just don't enjoy it. Um, I feel the pain of my muscles and everything like that. The music is kind of, I guess, my way of kind of cleansing my mind a little bit and allowing me to switch off and becoming connected with the rum. Every single ultra I do, I have never listened to music and I can't listen to music. I almost like the silence of running outside or running with a friend and being present with, with a friend. It's um, yeah, a completely different experience. It's very kind of therapeutic in a way. I guess you have to you have to try it to to experience it. Like I said, I'll get you. Maybe <laughs> we'll see. Watch this space, uh, and I guess I should ask you because I know that other people do, and it comes up all the time. Is they say, "Yeah, Jen, this sounds great, but I'm time poor. I'm busy. I've got a job. I've got kids. I've got this. I've got that. You know, 10k, I can fit it in. But training for an ultra or even training for a marathon, you know, it's a big time commitment. And you're somebody who has a full time job. You have a young son. So how do you yeah get around that? How do you get around training for something like an ultra and balancing everything else in your life yeah it's a, it's a great question it's um one that kind of I, I get a lot i've always had a bit of a reputation of being just this super busy person and everyone always says to me kind of how, how do you fit it all in um and honestly i don't think the problem is that people don't have enough time i think the problem is that people aren't always efficient enough with their time 
Um, you know me, I work kind of reasonably long hours. I've got an eight-month-old baby um, that takes up a lot of time. And I think even when I was kind of training for my Ironman um, and the Marathon de Saab, I was working about 70 or 80 hour a week back then. Now, the challenge is that most people have is they've got lots of things they need to do that also take up a lot of time. Um, things that maybe are non-productive, like um, commuting to work, or you feel tired at the end of the day, so you watch a, an hour or two hours of television to switch off, or you find yourself checking Instagram for the 10th time that day. Now, what I do is I work really, really hard to convert that dead time into productive time. Um, I run to work like two or three times a week. It's, it's 14 miles. It's a great kind of workout. Um, or I cycle if I'm not running or I yeah, can do a class if I need to kind of top it up at all. I might go and do like a really quick 5K in a, a 20 minute lunch break and then just eat at my desk so that I don't spend that kind of eating time. Um, I recently um, deleted the app or uh, Instagram LinkedIn and Facebook from my phone. I still go onto them, but the act of having to actually log into the website just puts that kind of little pause um, that means that it's not as it's not just one press of a button. Um, and I try and use all that time, um, yeah, to focus on the training. I don't feel I compromise on anything. Um, I did get up a little bit earlier than most people perhaps, but I don't feel like I compromise on anything. I still go for beers with my mates when I want. I still spend plenty of time with my family. Um, I work pretty long hours and commit fully to, to my work. So yeah, I train hard, but I'm not one of these people that never goes out or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, it's just prioritising that time, right? Yeah, I think time comes up a lot, but we're going to talk more, obviously, about your mornings and then and all that stuff later on. But I do really quickly want to ask you about your charity in Uganda, which I know you're super passionate about and I touched on a little bit at the start, but can you tell us a little bit about that, how how it started, why it started? Yeah, for sure. I, I could talk all day about this. I'm sure, um, yeah, y your listeners would fall asleep, so I'll try and keep it brief. But um, so basically, the idea for the charity came um, to me when I was backpacking around Africa after university. And I stayed in this village called Samonga Village in Zambia. And this village had no electricity. All the children had, had no shoes. And they were just the happiest, most excited, energetic bunch of kids I'd ever seen. They were desperate to be in school. They came over to me. They're jumping all over me. And it just kind of suddenly struck me that... One, um, they didn't have anything. And um, how come I was a white middle-class male and I had everything because I just happened to be born into the right family in the right country. And two, how they were so happy and excited and were desperate to get into school. And you go into England and everyones it's, it's like a jail. People are desperate to get out of it and, uh, and not go and they have everything. And this kind of question of inequality kind of really stayed with me. Now, I was talking for years and years about my idea of setting up this charity. And then, uh, yeah, back in 2012, two of my best friends in turned around to me at the pub and said, uh, Ben, you've been talking about setting up this charity for years and years. Um, do you fancy doing it? Because we quite fancy helping out now. It's kind of the push I needed to get some other people involved and you need some people to do it with. So, yeah, us and a couple of other friends set up Universal Chance. Uh, and, yeah, we have been raising money through various ways to help to rebuild uh, Bohinga Primary School uh, in Fort Porter in Uganda. And it's just so, um, yeah, it, it's so good for kind of your own personal well-being to, to help other people. Um, whenever we visit the school, the kids come running over, they jump all over you. Um, the whole school sang to us last time we were there. And it, it's really, it's really humbling and really makes it all worthwhile. Yeah, amazing. So how often do you get to go uh, and visit them? 
Yeah, so I've been out there um, to the school twice. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the other trustees is a good friend of mine from home that I grew up with. Um, his family's from Uganda originally, which is why we chose Uganda. Um, he goes reasonably frequently. In fact, he's going out in a few weeks' time again. So he's probably been, yeah, I don't know, maybe into double figures. Um, each of the trustees has been at least twice. Amazing. Well, well, maybe we can leave a link or something in the show notes um, after the show. So if people want to find out more of how they can, yeah, I guess, find out more about the charity and support, then they can do that. Uh, I recently read an article about Scott Harris. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's the founder of Charity Water, incredible guy, you know, doing amazing things as well. And he talked a lot about the importance of doing things in service of others. I think, you know, he'd had a successful career and lots of money, done all the things, ticks all the boxes and just didn't feel... I guess, fulfilled or happy or felt like, what am I, you know, what's what's the next thing? Uh, and I guess maybe not everyone might be able to set up their own charity, but if people are feeling like that, you know, they really want to do something in service of others, then where's a good place for us to start? Yeah, it, it, it's a good question. Um, and I think it is really important to do things in service of others. And I am obviously kind of really passionate about that. But I think what is even more important really is I feel like, particularly in today's um, society, there's lots of people that kind of feel a little bit lost and they're looking at other people on Instagram. Um, Everyone looks like they've got this wonderfully glossy life and got all the answers to everything. And actually, I think people need to understand a little bit and take a step back and think about um, what what their why is. So you kind of mentioned it earlier in the show a little bit um, and it's quite difficult to arrive kind of what your purpose and people normally attach kind of their careers like my purpose is to kind of be a partner at a law firm or my um, to be this kind of mega superstar influencer like you are with all these kind of thousands of followers and, and everything like that. But actually if you take a step back and ask the why behind that of why do I actually do these things? What gets me excited? Why do I get up in the morning? And then use that to determine the what, the, the, the things that you do. Um, then actually it drives a lot and it's incredibly powerful and it can help have that thread through everything that you do. So for instance, if I looked at mine, and I do do this exercise quite frequently, um, I was kind of feeling a little bit lost a few years ago and I worked out what I was truly, truly passionate about. Um, It wasn't going in and earning money or anything like that. I was truly passionate about helping people and inspiring other people. Um, And as a result, I started to link my my kind of the what I do to that. So I work for a fitness company. I love reading the stories about how um, we're changing people's lives, uh, both mentally and physically as well. I work in uh, the people side of fit. I love making people's work experience as exciting and as happy as possible. When people aren't happy at work, I really lose sleep over that. Um, I run my charity and help those kids at being a school. Even my running, like I really like inspiring other people. Now, I think if people really understand their why, I think the vast majority of people would realise that at least a part of their why is to help out other people. I think we're programmed like that um, as a human race to be able to do that. And I think if you did that, it wouldn't just be a one-off helping someone or a group of people once. I think it would sustain as a balanced part kind of of your life. So I think it needs to be a bigger picture than just uh, maybe I should help someone out. So I'll just donate 20 quid to my mate that's running a marathon. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ben. And, you know, we've talked a little bit about figuring out... Yeah, what makes you get up in the morning? What makes you get out of bed? What drives you? And you know I'm all about that, especially on the Power Out Show.
I love finding out why people do what they do, their daily habits, their their morning routine, especially in relationship to their success, their health, their happiness. So I would love to know, Ben, what time do you wake up in the morning and what is the first hour of your day like? I love this part of my, your show. It's my favourite part because yeah. I always try and see what I can steal from other people. Yeah. Um, so... I wake up uh, between half five and six every day and the a couple of days a week I, I look after, do the morning routine with my son, which is my favourite mornings of the week. But when I'm not doing that, kind of a normal morning looks like, uh, well, it's exercise. The first thing I do, apart from brushing my teeth, literally kit on and I, I exercise. So I quite often run to work or I cycle to work or I'll go and do kind of a hit class of some sort. Um, it's really good to do it um, before I eat any food or literally do anything else um, because when I'm running on an empty stomach, it really helps to simulate those kind of later stages in a marathon or an ultra race um, when your energy stores are, are depleted. I think also for me mentally, it's a great way to start the way day. It clears my mind. It helps me kind of attack the day from kind of a, a really great starting point. But if I'm up all night with, with Harry, I, I wake up lethargic. After I've done my energy, um, sorry, my exercise, I'm energised and I, I don't feel tired for, for the whole day to, to the evening. Well, that's what I wanted to yeah jump in, actually. I don't want to interrupt you, but have you always done that? Have you always woken up and got up and exercised? Have you done that for years? Have you done that for, you know, because some people, if they think, oh, I'm not a morning person and yeah, I wake up feeling tired. The last thing I want to do is exercise because I'm going to be more tired. But as you said, it makes you more energised. So yeah, have you always done it? How long do you think you've been doing that? No, I haven't always done it at all. Um, I've been doing it for quite a while now, for five or six years, probably. But I used to be an evening exercise type of guy. Probably kind of, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just had a whole completely different daily routine. My day would start a little bit later. Um, I would maybe even get to work really super early if things were really busy or I'd, I'd get in later because I, I was tired. And I'd go to bed like kind of 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock in the morning. So my whole day shifted. But the big challenge with that is there was just so much stuff that could come up in the evening that was outside of my control. Um, work might go on late. Um, a friend might message me and say, do you want to go for, for, for beers tonight? Which happened a lot when I was kind of in, in, in my 20s. So quite often my exercise would just fall by the wayside. Um, and if I did do what I just said, go for beers, and I'd be quite tired and jaded the next morning. Now, by doing my exercise first thing in the morning, it's the way that I've got complete control over it. It's that portion of the day that nothing is ever going to come in to, to stop me doing that. And as soon as I started doing that, um, it, things very quickly become become a habit and now it's yes yeah, it's, it's life-changing like i i wouldn't have it any other way and if i don't do it then i feel like a little bit antsy awesome hear it people you see it's not just me trying to convert everyone to get up early get out break that sweat and you really do as you said you do feel more energized it is life-changing i often say that to people i'm like the power hour or you know what i call the power hour getting up early has literally changed my life and they're like really I'm like yes but maybe you have to try, again another thing you have to try it test out for yourself um and once you feel it you can't you can't you can't unknow it I'm all about experimentation. Like I almost kind of run my life how we, um, yeah, run, run fit. You don't know what's going to work. You try something for a little period. You come up with a hypothesis of, is it going to make me feel better? Is it going to make me feel more energized? And if it works, you carry on doing it. And if it doesn't, then, then you drop it. So I think you've got nothing to lose from trying something for a short amount of time. And uh, yeah, if, if you like it, do it. If not, then go back to what you did before. Awesome. So can you give us a Power Hour challenge? So each week I ask the guests to give the listeners something that they can try this week. Could be in the morning, could be any time uh, that they can try and get involved in. Yes, 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 I can. I um, This is a challenge that I gave myself uh, probably two months ago now. 
So I read a really great book called Atomic Habits. I know there's a bunch of us at Fit that have read it, and I know people have adopted things from it, and people talk very highly of it, so I'd recommend that book for a start. But one of the challenges that I had from it is it talked about how do you introduce these new things into your routine and you stick with it, because that's one of the big challenges, right? Not just doing something new, but how do you stick with it? And there's this concept called habit stacking. So what it is is you um, look for something that is a current daily habit of yours, something you do every single day, like um, brushing your teeth, or I do the baby bottles in the morning every single morning for, for Harry, or before I go to bed. And I wanted to do um, 50 press-ups every day. So what I did was every night I do Harry's boss before I go to bed. And after you do that habit, that thing that you have to do every day, um, then I do 50 press-ups. Now, it doesn't have to be press-ups. It has to be something you want to introduce into your life. You might want to um, learn more about your industry. So you might read an article um, in five minutes. You might um, do two minutes meditation. You might do, like I do, kind of just a minute of kind of some form of exercise. Pick something small that you want to improve in your life and habit stack. Put it after one habit that you do every single day and just try that for a week. And after a week, I think it'll pretty much become part of your daily routine. Awesome. I love that. So I'm going to think of something myself actually to try. And please let us know what you're trying this week, what you're going to habit stack. So one thing, you've got to do it every single day. And I like that it doesn't have to be a whole hour because that's often the thing, right? I don't have time. But if it's just five minutes, then yeah, give it a go and try it every single day. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ben. I've absolutely loved talking to you. And I feel like I could talk to you for longer. I've still got questions to ask. But uh, before I do, could you tell us where could people find you or connect online? Sure. Yeah, you can hit me up on the, the usual uh, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. Um, yeah, if you are a bit enterprising, you can probably find my email address as well. You're more than welcome to, to email me as well. I won't chuck out on here because I'll be uh, inundated, I'm, I'm sure. Feel free to, to reach out. So what is it on LinkedIn and Instagram? Ben Morph. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And we'll leave it in the show notes as well. Okay, my closing question, which I ask to every single guest, is all about time. As you know, I'm really, really grateful, Ben, that you've given us an hour of your time today and your busy schedule. So thank you so much. Could you tell us, you know that I believe time is so important, the most valuable thing that you can give to another person. So what is the most valuable thing that time has taught you? So the most valuable thing that time has taught me is kind of linked almost in a way to the question. And it is spend all the spare money you've got on experiences with incredible people and not things. I'm really, really passionate about traveling, going and seeing new places, meeting new people. I think I've been to 67 countries so far or trying new sports. I mean, I've got a skydive license, I scuba dive, I snowboard a lot. It's really just about those kind of different experiences. Um, it makes you a much more interesting person, but it makes your life much happier, much more fulfilled. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yes, spend your spare money, you said, on experiences and not more stuff. Because we don't, we don't need more stuff. Amazing. Ben, you're awesome. And thank you so much for coming in. Thanks so much for listening to the show. I really hope that you enjoyed it. And I'm sure there's so many things in there that you could try and definitely do the exercise of the 10-year goal setting. I'm going to be doing that as well. Don't forget, you can rate and review the show on iTunes. Uh, get in touch on Instagram and Twitter. I love seeing all of your feedback. Thanks again for listening. See ya. Bye, Ben. See you later. Thanks. Hold up. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.